Let's ask God to help us now. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help me speak your word truthfully and clearly. And Heavenly Father, we pray that confessing Jesus' love for us, you would move us to love. You would show us where we have failed in love and grant us grace to repent of that and you'd reveal to us ways in which we can love our brothers and sisters perseveringly and with wholeheartedness. Uh, Please make us Jesus' people, we pray, known for our love of each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, what did you do on Friday? Uh, Jane and I had tea with the family inside around a table. The first time I'd eaten a meal inside with someone other than Jane for 78 days or 11 weeks. Not that I was counting and of course it's no reflection on her company but it was good, so good to eat with others. Friday started to transition for us individually and collectively not just out of lockdowns but away from lockdowns. A new stage in the way our community deals with the presence of the coronavirus amongst us. It's exciting for lockdowns while they inhibit the spread of the virus do harm harm to individuals, their mental health, their schooling, their finances and harm to communities, putting them under a pressure that can expose the cracks, the divisions amongst us. And Friday's changes also give hope, don't they? Hope of being able to resume doing things we love, things Joanne mentioned like meeting with family and friends, travel to visit family in the country or interstate, for many the opportunity of getting back to work, hope of the restoration of freedoms, including our freedom together. So these changes are exciting, hopeful, but they're also a little anxiety-provoking for some those who are anxious about the spread of the disease and about gathering with others. Now, that anxiety and those divisions that have been exposed tell you that reaching the goal we all desire as a church, to return to a better normal where, in relation to church, we can resume our ministries and all gather confidently whatever our decisions about vaccination, will be messy. Messy because there'll be changes to government requirements over the coming months that we'll need to keep up with. Messy because of the presence of the virus in the community, which means we'll have to keep working at keeping ourselves COVID safe. Messy because there will be different degrees of confidence among us about gathering because the health and circumstances of each one of us is different. Messy because it's possible there'll be cases of corona amongst us and we may even encounter someone infected unknowingly at church. Oh, messy because at the moment the government has prescribed different routes to normality for the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, potentially messy because of the real division amongst us about vaccination and the government's response to the health crisis and where, there is, uh, where, where with those divisions, it's easy for misunderstandings to arise and offence to be taken, especially where we're anxious or angry. We're only at the start of the journey, and I expect it will take weeks and months for us all to feel confident together. But we all want to get to the goal where we can all meet safely together, not just because it represents normality, 
but because of our common commitment to the Lord Jesus and what we share together in him. We want to express in our gathering that it is our common faith in Jesus, not what we think or do about vaccination, that is the basis for our membership of Christ's people and of being able to call the living God our Father. What's important as we move through the mess is that we do so as genuine followers of Jesus, people who are characterised by the love that the Lord Jesus has said his people are to be known for in the world. By this, said Jesus, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for one another, if you love one another. Every step of the way, whatever our differences, our neighbours should see that we treat each other, fellow followers of Jesus, with love, with love because we have been loved by Jesus. And so this morning I'm going to start by looking at the command to love in 1 Peter because it will emphasise for us that this love for God's family in Christ is non-negotiable. And then I'll remind us of the character of the love commanded by looking at some familiar New Testament passages. And finally, I want to engage you with the challenges and opportunities we have at this time for love in our differences. So, 1 Peter 1, this time from the ESV. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So there is the command, and it is a command, love one another earnestly, perseveringly, from a pure heart. Now, three things to note about this command. Firstly, this is a command to do what we've been saved by Jesus to do. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth is Peter's way of speaking of believing the gospel and its effects. See, in chapter 1, verse 2, he'd spoken of believers as chosen to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Here in verse 21, Peter's referring to the effect of that obedience to the gospel call for repentance and faith in Jesus. The effect of believing the gospel that Christ has died for our sins and turning away from being the boss of our own lives to confess that Jesus is our Lord. By that obedience, believers have purified their souls. That is, they have been cleansed, made fit for God's presence by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And while that is the whole person, the emphasis is actually on the inner person, the soul, their thoughts and will. Jesus' sacrifice has included believers in God's new covenant people who, in the words of Ezekiel, have been cleansed of all their impurities and given new hearts. And this inclusion, says Peter, is for a sincere brotherly love. The purpose of being included in his new covenant people is that believers show a sincere brotherly love for each other. Now let's just unpack that word, and it is one word in Greek, brotherly love. God's people, those saved by Jesus' death, are to think of themselves as a family with one father, God. Now in the world, we get to choose who we'll love. 
but not Christians. Christians are to love those they haven't chosen. Instead, they are to love those God has chosen. And that's the way it is in families, isn't it? You don't get a say as to who your siblings will be, but you are to love them. And brotherly love is actually a life, a lifelong expectation as long as you're a member of the family. And we're told here it's to be sincere, not play-acting, not pretend, not just a polite acknowledgement on a Sunday while you keep your distance. The command, love one another earnestly, perseveringly from a pure heart, is a command to do what you and I have been saved to do to express the purpose in our relationships of love with each other, of our being saved by Christ. And secondly, this is a command to live as true children of our heavenly Father. Love one another constantly because you're being born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. We are to love because we've been given new birth by God through his gospel word. Now, why is being born again a reason to love one another constantly, deeply, eagerly? Well, Peter is telling us that as we've been born into this family where God is our father and we are (coughs) brothers and sisters by the work of God, our father expects our life together to reflect our parentage. This new life is completely different in origin and character from the life any human parent can give. That life from human seeds, transient, passing, failing. But this new life, like the seed, the word that brings it into being, is from God. And as that word is enduring, so this life is enduring. This is our forever family. And that word that gives us this life is the gospel word, the word that tells us of God's great love for his people, that our Father has loved us, every believer, so much that he's given his son Jesus for us. And so the life this seed begets must share the character of the Father revealed in his life-giving word. It must be one of love for his loved children. Without that love, there is no evidence of the new life of the loving God in us. You cannot be a member of the Father's family, be a Christian of received new birth without this love. And there's no believer, no member of the family, you are excused from loving. And the third thing to note about the command to love one another constantly, earnestly, is that obedience to it is particularly important for a community under pressure, for love turns its back on community-destroying behaviours. Peter continues, this word is the gospel word that was proclaimed to you, therefore, therefore, because that word calls you to love one another, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and all slander. Commenting on that list and reflecting on the circumstances of Peter's readers where they're being tested in various kinds of trials, facing the suspicions and hostility of the surrounding community. Peter Davids writes, especially when a community is under pressure, there's a tendency to begin bickering and division, which only makes the community that much more vulnerable to outside pressure. But loving as we are commanded 
turns us away from those destructive behaviours. And note particularly the last two, envy and slander. This is a reminder that love actually rejoices with those who rejoice. Even if those rejoicing are enjoying privileges and ease, you might want for yourself and don't have. Oh, and yes, love controls the tongue and the keyboard so as not to speak ill of others. Loving all our brothers and sisters, even those we disagree with, is not an optional extra for believers in Jesus. It's the purpose of our salvation. It's the sure sign of new birth by Heavenly Father who loves all his children. Now, of course, none of this is a surprise to readers of the New Testament. It's full of instruction on love. And as love is what we really must focus on to get through the messiness of coming out of lockdown and not be ensnared in the devil's work of division through anger, lies and bitterness, I'm going to remind you now of the nature and character of the love commanded before engaging you with some of the challenges to and opportunities for love at this time. What does God's word, this is a brief reminder, what does God's word have in mind when it speaks of the love we are to show to each other? Well, firstly, it's modelled on Jesus' love for his people. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Now, there is, is a lifetime of meditation in that verse. But just briefly, it's a reminder to us, isn't it, that our love will cost us as it cost our Lord. And there will be a cost to pay in the weeks to come to love. Even if that cost is overcoming our fears to meet or getting up earlier to serve. I want us a reminder that love's goal is the promotion of our relationship with our Heavenly Father as we do in our meeting because that was the goal of Jesus' love. Oh, another passage, 1 John, where John picks up on what Jesus commanded at the Last Supper to emphasise the necessity, the cost and the content of this love. The necessity, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. You heard that, didn't you? You either love and live or refuse to love and die. Oh, the cost of this love. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Loves serves. It lays down its life. It gives up pleasing ourselves to promote the good of our brothers and sisters. And yes, the content of love. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow or believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech but in action and truth. Love can't be mere sentiment. It's seen in what we do. It's practical and real and shares the good things God has given us, including the gifts he's given us with those in need. And being real, it also engages with the reality of the situation. Genuine love is never divorced from truth, for lies can never inform right action in the world made by the righteous God. 
As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love rejoices in the truth. And let's hear the rest of what Paul says love is and love isn't. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the kind of love we will need to show each other if we are to get through this messy period as one people. We will need, for example, a lot of patience and kindness with each other in the coming weeks. Oh, and it will need to be love that's not just sentiment but does show itself in action in changing Sunday morning routines to come and gather in person and encourage others, in giving up more of the day to serve, in initiating connection again with each other in person. And we'll need to show this love in the context of acknowledging differences between us, differences that some may have find hard to live with. What are the challenges and opportunities Uh, for our love, the love of each of us in the midst of these differences. Well, to help you think through this, I've grouped the different challenges and opportunities according to how there are different ways of thinking amongst us about the seriousness of the disease and the effectiveness and safety of the vaccines. Let me talk to you, as it were, about the two axes. You can see them there what we think about the disease, whether we think it's serious or not, and what we think about the vaccines, whether we think they are safe and effective or not. And they divide us into kind of four groups. Now, there are other differences amongst us, but I've chosen our attitude to vaccination and disease to group our differences because what we believe about them does divide us. It does affect our choices and it gives rise to particular challenges to love and maintaining our unity in Christ. Secondly, note that these axes, what we believe about the vaccine, its safety and efficacy, and what we believe about the disease, disease represent scientific judgments, not theological or political judgments. As scientific judgments, they're judgments based on data and the interpretation of data, and so, like all scientific judgments, they should be open to revision as new data emerges. So movement between the quadrants is possible as new data comes to light, and that data is emerging at a great rate. We've had more time to learn about both the virus and the vaccine since the vaccines became available, and the data, particularly on safety and efficacy, is accumulating. And that data is also increasingly local as we watch what's happening in both New South Wales and Victoria with the spread of the virus, as we watch hospital admissions and deaths, and as the TGA collects and investigates reports of sickness and death associated with the vaccine. And looking at the data, I think it's becoming clear that the vaccines are looking increasingly safe and effective in preventing hospitalisation and death and in suppressing spread. But these are judgments that are scientific judgments based on data. Thirdly, because these are scientific judgments and not political judgments, 
there can be a great variety of positions about other things in each of the four quadrants. For example, you can believe the data says the vaccine's safe and effective, while at the same time thinking that the treatment of dissent or making people lose their jobs over an unwillingness to get vaccinated is heavy-handed. Or you can think the vaccine's ineffective and still, and perhaps for that reason, be fully committed to lockdown measures to keep people safe. Fourthly, much of the value of this exercise may be in just recognising that there are differences amongst us, that none of those positions exclude anyone from the faith, and those differences may present challenges to our loving one another. But we have to remember none of us is saved by getting everything right, thankfully. In fact, we can even be deceived about some things and be diametrically opposed about some things and still be brothers and sisters. The situation in Romans 14, which many have referred to when they think about how to live with these differences so that our unity is not destroyed, is not a perfect analogy for our situation. For differences over food and drink don't threaten anyone's health, nor are they subject, were they subject to government regulation. But Romans 14 is a passage that does tell us Christians can have deeply held differences which lead to exactly opposed behavioural outcomes. You know, one eating meat, the other abstaining from meat. One keeping the Sabbath, the other, you know, not. We can have deeply held differences which lead to exactly opposed behavioural outcomes and still be brothers and sisters, servants of the same Lord. So it's a helpful passage to us, even when that diversity comes as a shock to us. It's a helpful passage. And there is lots more in Romans 14 about how we're to hold those differences, how we're to live with those differences. Oh, yes, and what we're to pursue in difference, that is, verse 19 there, what promotes peace and builds one another up. There's, there's lots of Romans 14 in, in 14. But I want now to look at each of those four groups and think about the dangers and opportunities that those in each group have at this time in terms of loving one another. And I'm going to start with the COVID is serious and the vaccine is safe and effective because that's the group I'm in and many of us are in. And it's always good to think about your own sins first. Now, not all in this group have arrived at conviction of the seriousness of COVID in the same way. Uh, some of us have convictions about the seriousness of the disease because of the evidence we've seen reported, the ICU admissions, the deaths and long COVID we've heard about happening overseas and here. <coughs> but others are convinced of the seriousness of this disease by personal experience, the experience of losing someone they love, of knowing friends and family who have long COVID. And those who are in the camp of not taking the disease seriously need to hear that. Now, in this group, Lord willing, we've cheerfully gone along, got vaccinated, we feel life is opening up for us and we're getting more confident and more excited about getting back to near normal. Most of us. But some convinced of the seriousness of the disease 
continue very concerned to keep all the measures in place that will control its spread. So what are the dangers to our loving and opportunities those of us in this group face? Well, there are many, some of which will be shared by other groups, but for each group I want to highlight just three. Three dangers, three challenges to love, and then three opportunities. The first danger for us is despising or looking down on the unvaccinated. Now, despise is a strong and ugly word, but it's the word Paul uses in Romans 14 of the attitude of the strong to the weak. And to despise someone is ugly, you know. Someone you despise is someone you no longer think is worth bothering about. You think they've made their choice, (laughs) they should be left to their choices, we'll move on. And when you despise someone, you become unsympathetic to the difficulties they face. Unsympathetic here to the difficulties the unvaccinated face. Unsympathetic to their fears. Unsympathetic even, perhaps, if they were to fall sick with COVID. In a sense, despising them, we're happy to join the community pile on on the unvaccinated. The second danger is anger. Anger at those who don't take the disease seriously and so flout the rules that will keep it in check, like mask wearing. Oh, anger with the unvaccinated brethren uh, because of of the embarrassment they cause us in talking to our non-believing friends. Oh, anger where we work in healthcare at the risks the unvaccinated pose to us and to our patients in delayed operations. So we're tempted to despise, we're tempted to anger, and yes, we're tempted to impatience. You know, we think they're holding us back, they're continuing to threaten the system, they should just go and get vaccinated. And behind all of this, of course, if we look in our hearts, we can see sometimes a pride puffed up in our certainty that we've got it right and affirmed by society's approval. All of those are real temptations and they would be a failure of love. But if we're resolved to live obeying God's good command to love, what are our opportunities? Opportunities to show the world we are Jesus' disciples in the way we relate to our brothers and sisters. Well, firstly, we can accept one another, as Paul says in Romans 14, acknowledging that someone who differs from us on the science of vaccination is still a brother or sister in Christ and so someone whose inclusion we should work for and welcome in a COVID-safe way because the disease is real. Now, at the moment, that means making sure they can keep gathering to hear God's word in a smaller number, supporting that smaller service, Uh, where that support might be needed, while at the same time, in love, getting our larger services where all can meet going. Later on, it might mean accepting arrangements that will allow us all to meet together at the one time, accepting those arrangements for love of Jesus, recognising that love always needs courage to love those who are unlike ourselves. And we've got opportunity to love by continuing to relate with a kindness that's willing to sympathise, the love that can grieve with those who grieve, that can make space to feel their loss, even where we disagree with their position. Oh, and we can love by keeping on talking with those who are different from us. Part of the issue is isolation, and it's easy, isn't it, to have nothing to do and to grow cold or angry towards someone you never see. 
love will stay in touch. And for some of us, speaking the truth in love will mean keeping on talking about vaccination, giving an opportunity for people to test their position to confirm the evidence. You see, Romans 14, 16 says, do not let your good be slandered. That is, what you think is right. Don't let what you think is right be misrepresented. You see, love is not about accepting untruths, but gently challenging them. Love creates room for continued discussion and perhaps change. And we should have that discussion, shouldn't we? Because if, like me, you are convinced of the vaccine safety and the seriousness of the disease, you want people to be vaccinated, not to win an argument, but so that they protect their lives, the lives of people you love. Test all things. You may see opportunities, but the important thing is that you are looking for opportunities to love those different from you. Next, let's think about the diametrically opposite group who think COVID's not serious and the vaccine's not safe and effective. Now, if you're in this group, you might think it's presumptuous of me to speak of challenges to your love, or you might be fearing that this is just another way of trying to change you because, let's face it, I am so clearly in favour of vaccination and thankful for it. But I have spoken with one or two who hold this position and I'm speaking to you now as Christians on the assumption that you are fully convinced in your own mind that your position is consistent with your faith in Jesus, that you've made the decisions you have to please Jesus and that because you're a Jesus person, you are committed to loving your brothers and sisters for Jesus' sake. Now, what challenges to that love does it seem to me you face? Well, like the fully vaccinated, looking down on, other, on your brothers and sisters, you face the challenge of looking down on your brothers and sisters who, you don't, who don't agree with you, who think of thinking of them perhaps as compliant sheep, led along by the spin of government and media without really doing their own research. You could face with the temptation of despising them. Oh, and yes, you're faced with the temptation of outrage, outrage at the government's restrictions, particularly the mandating of vaccination for all kinds of groups, an outrage that can see anyone not actively opposing it as compliant with evil or anyone operating within those restrictions, like we are, say, having services that are open only to the fully vaccinated, as well as a service for those whose vaccine status is unknown, you can, you can see anyone operating within those restrictions as somehow betraying believers like you. So you're tempted to outrage. And yes, you're also faced the temptation of judging others condemning their lack of integrity or faith where they don't agree with you. I was speaking to another pastor who had several frail elderly people in his congregation who wanted to come back to church because they'd been suffering in isolation. And they'd indicated to him that they'd really only feel com comfortable in a, a vaccinated-only gathering and considering their health was quite reasonable. Now, he was already planning to run a service for vaccination status unknown people, but he agreed with them that he'd run a service for them as well, just for the fully vaccinated. 
And yet, as soon as he kind of made that decision, he was promptly accused of compromising the gospel and those elderly believers were accused of faithlessness for not being willing to risk death for the sake of all meeting together. There is a lot of judging going on. And those things, despising, outraged, judging, are a failure of love. So what are the opportunities for loving others that those who believe the disease is not serious and the vaccine not safe and effective, what, what opportunities for love do they have? Well, again, in line with Romans 14, they can love by giving up that judging of others and accepting those who differ from them as brothers and sisters who, like them, are acting out of conviction, knowing that they're accountable to the Lord Jesus. In particular, it would be loving to accept that trying to love others in opening up services only to the fully vaccinated is not abandoning the gospel, nor is it a failure to love them. You see, we desire all to be able to meet together based on their confession of Christ. But we can't always have what we desire and we can desire many things at the same time, things that sometimes conflict. In our case, session desires to end the damage being done by not opening, by opening as soon as we reasonably can, which is on the 7th of November. And we want that because we love the single those with young families for whom the, the single who are living alone, those with young families for whom the live stream is proving so difficult, the children and young people whose lives and relationships have been disrupted. Oh, yes, and we love the community that benefits from a communal gospel witness. Those who don't think the disease is serious and the vaccine is not safe and effective can love by giving up judging and actually being glad for the good that we can do by starting to meet together again. Oh, and those in this group also have an opportunity to love by accepting imperfect love. Remember 1 Peter 4 says, love covers a multitude of sins. Meeting in a smaller group might fall short of what you expect, but we're running it because we love you and want you to have the encouragement of meeting with others around the world. You can love by not around the world. Sorry, you can love by not isolating yourself, not separating yourself, and coming to that smaller meeting while we wait the, wait the removal of the requirement to check vaccine status. Now, session wants that and is written to request that, and our letter will eventually appear on the website. But don't let the pursuit of the perfect be the enemy of the good. And it's good to meet with other believers, to hear God's word, to pray together, to sing his praise, even if it is behind masks, if you've got to wear one and in a smaller number. And thirdly, you can love by abandoning outrage. James says, James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. And remember what Paul said, love's not irritable, <coughs> does not keep a record of wrongs, neither does it provoke. 
And so it wouldn't be loving if you're not yet fully vaccinated to seek entry on November the 7th to a gathering for the fully vaccinated just to make a point. That'd actually be quite perverse. Abandoning outrage may involve you in grappling with things like God's sovereignty so that like Joseph, you can save those you think are wronging. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good and keep on loving and doing good. Trusting in the love of your sovereign father is at the heart of being able to be generous, kind and patient with your perfect, imperfect brothers and sisters. Test all things, but think about how you can love those who hold different convictions to you. Well, what of those who are in the COVID is real and a serious disease? but are convinced the vaccine is unsafe group. Well, let me say from the outset, I grieve for the difficult position you are in. Don't think we think any less of you as fellow believers by disagreeing about the scientific evidence. This is the time for me to remind us all that some have reasons for being concerned about the vaccine safety, perhaps a past bad experience of a vaccine even past unhelpful experiences of doctors or knowing someone close to them who suffered a serious vaccine side effect or just being caught up in the mixed, ambiguous messaging that accompanied the early days of the vaccine rollout. What challenges does this group face to love? Well, there's the danger of withdrawing, either because they're fearful of catching the disease or they dread the conversations about why they're not vaccinated yet, or the condemnation. Oh, and secondly, they can be tempted to become resentful of the pressure they're put under to get vaccinated while they're making up their mind, even from well-intended brothers and sisters who in love would want them to protect themselves from the virus. What opportunities do they have for love? Well, having the courage to stay connected so that their gifts can be enjoyed and encouragement can be enjoyed by their brothers and sisters to stay connected and not be excluded, to come to the vaccination status unknown service, to encourage and be encouraged. That is loving. Oh, and to keep modelling faith in God, the faith that trusts him in the difficult circumstances of lives and livelihoods being threatened by a serious disease. That's loving. And yes, to keep on being patient with those whose well-intentioned concern can irritate, to keep on believing the best of people's intentions so that conversation can continue. And the fourth group, those who think the disease is not particularly serious, at least not for them, and who think the vaccine is safe. Well, what a happy place to be, let me say. Uh, but if that's you, uh, recognise the challenges to your loving brother, to, to your loving your brothers and sisters who are not like you. Three challenges to walking in love. Firstly, you can be tempted to discount the concerns of others, to think that because these things don't trouble you, there's really not much reason for anyone else to be troubled. And so to get irritated with those who get upset with your casual engagement with COVID-safe requirements like mask-wearing and social distancing. And, yes, you can be tempted to judge and speak poorly of those who do have conviction about the seriousness of the disease, to think of them as uptight, even lacking faith or just plain interfering. And you can equally get impatient with those not being vaccinated 
because they're stopping things getting back to normal for you as quickly as possible. Your love is also challenged. And you have great opportunities for love. You can serve in love. Vaccinated unconcerned, it'll actually be easier for you. You know, you'll have no reason to hold back, say, from teaching Sunday school or welcoming or helping out with the three o'clock service if needed. Oh, and you can love by resolving to put no stumbling block in the way of others, by cheerfully observing the COVID-safe measures in their presence. That's something Paul recommends in Romans 14, not using the freedoms we feel we have so that others don't take offence or are deterred from meeting. And thirdly, you can love by being patient with those who lack your unconcern and staying in contact with them to encourage them. Brothers and sisters, I know as we start to move away from lockdowns, as the possibility of in-person meeting is now very near, many of us are tired and we're in different places in relation to the way we think and feel about the seriousness of the disease, about the safety and efficacy of the vaccines, about how we've experienced the lockdown and its restrictions in our confidence to start meeting. But we will, Lord willing, open up for those four services on the 7th, three to the fully vaccinated and one at <coughs> three for those whose vaccination status is unknown. Uh, if registration, and if registration for that last service shows we need to do more, we will. But meeting is good for us all and the possibility to meet is an answer to our prayers. Let's make sure that through this messy time we keep being Jesus' people, people known for their love of each other even in our differences. I've sought to engage you this morning with what that might mean for you, whatever your position. I may not have portrayed your challenges and opportunities as you see them, but I put the command of God before you to love one another deeply, earnestly, perseveringly, to turn aside from those things that would do the devil's work of dividing and discouraging, to turn aside from looking down on others and judging them, from anger, from thoughtlessness, from careless words and speech, and to practice a love that is patient and kind, that can rejoice with those who rejoice, grieve with those who grieve, that's willing as our Lord was to pay a cost to love, to promote the good of our brothers and sisters. That commitment to love starts in our hearts with our conviction that Jesus is Lord and that he commands us for our good because we know he loves us. Oh, with our conviction that our Heavenly Father is sovereign over all things and will work the circumstances we face for our good so we're not ultimately harmed by others' sins against us. Oh, it starts with a love of Jesus in our hearts that wants to love those who are beloved by him, every believer in Christ. So if in the coming weeks and months you find yourself struggling to love, well, start there, in your heart. Confess the struggle, the anger, the resentment, the impatience, even the little faith, whatever it is, and ask that at these times... 
ask that as these times, sorry, as these times put our obedience to Jesus under pressure, ask that we would know more of the love of Jesus for us and in that knowledge be strengthened and empowered by God's Spirit so that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now I'm going to pray for us uh, Paul's prayer in Philippians 1 and then Ross will continue in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we ask that our love will keep on growing in knowledge and every discernment, all discernment, so that we'll approve what is best and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Please grow love in us, we pray, and let it be seen by all. In Jesus' name, amen.